Hey, and welcome back. So, you want to sue someone, right? You want to do a tort claim. You want to sue somebody in their personal capacity. You want to send out administrative claims. You want to, you know, you want to you do that claim on that bond. Yeah? Okay, that's good, that's good. You should do that. But what I'm about to say you should put it into consideration. If you don't, at least you can say someone did not tell you beforehand. And that is objections. Hearsay is one of the objections. We've heard so many times. But one thing that was not really made clear to many people is hearsay is a type of objection. And there are many types, many, many types of objections. And if at any point you're saying you want to enforce your rights, you say you have rights and you want to enforce it, that's fine. Do that. But if you don't know the different types of objections, whether you're brought in as a defendant or you were the one making the claim, if you don't know the different types of objections, you will get your behind kicked. And in the process of that, they will spit on you and stomp on you. Objections. Whoever it is that talks about things of these nature in the past have told you, object to them. Object to them. And when you object, make sure they sustain or overrule. And if they overrule, ask them for what cause. That is true and correct. But I don't, that only encompasses about 10% of what objection is really about. What I'm going to talk about it does not necessarily constitute the whole 90% that's left, but a very, very huge chunk of it. And this, when it comes to objections, is strictly based on rules of evidence. We'll be focusing on the federal level, which is basically like the uniform aspect, like the uniform probate code, uniform commercial code, etc., etc. But there is a respective state equivalence, and oftentimes the numbering of the rules of evidence also corresponds with a state version. So, objecting and waiting for them to sustain or overrule and asking for what cause if overrule, my friends, is not the limitation of objections. And if you've ever went into a, a municipal court or a federal court, in today's world with all these Zoom virtual conference trash, even though you probably shouldn't be participating in it, but if you do, use it to your advantage. It's much easier for you to observe Observe court proceedings without leaving your own, you know, comfort zone. You put on a earphone and watch what's going on. Listen to these things and then make reference to these parliamentary procedures and the laws and case laws regarding objections. And once you start reading in all these things and listen to these things, you'll realize, oh, crap, there's a lot more to this than I ever thought. So today we're going to go over the 13 types of objections. Well, probably about 10. 10 of them are really more common. And attorneys will kick your ass with this during trial. You can put in all the most fire paperwork. This you can put in everything that's good. It sounds good. It makes you feel good. You feel like you're on fire. They're going to annul all that paperwork and make it look and feel like trash by just using objections during trial. And it's gonna go by so quick. 
that it's going to go past your head. You won't even notice it. All they have to do is say objection, leading. Objection, improper characterization. Objection, insufficient evidence. And that acting judge is going to say sustained. And then they're just going to move on. And you're just going to sit there, wait, huh? What? Huh? He objected. And the acting judge sustained it. Yeah, you were supposed to stop at that moment and say something. Or bring that up later. But what about all the other different types of objections that were made? You weren't prepared for it. You had no idea what in the world was being spoken about. So here's a bit of a helping hand. The least you can't say is someone never told you. Let's begin with the most common one that everybody has beat to death. Hearsay. Rule 802. A statement made out of this court, offered in court, to provide, to prove the truth of the matter asserted. A statement is not hearsay if the words spoken are relevant, not what the words mean. Exceptions. We went over this previously in other videos, so go watch those videos. Regarding hearsay exceptions. If they want to object to an hearsay and it does not qualify under the exceptions to make it admissible, they're just going to say two very simple words. The first one is objection, and the second one is hearsay. So when you invoke an objection, that word objection just doesn't stand alone by itself. It doesn't. And if at any circumstance you say, I object to that, and you don't say the specific type of objection, remember, maximum of law, all law specific, the rules of proceedings, rules of evidence, parliamentary mode of actions of how they operate believe it or not is very specific and they pay attention to those specificities and they use the lack thereof to your detriment if you're going on about objecting this objecting that hey no you must sustain or overrule my objection and you're not specific with it then guess what they are not obligated to sustain or overrule it because they don't know what type of objection you just made. Now you can go in detail and say, I object to him saying this, so-and-so, so-and-so. But even then, that's a very broad opening. Because there are types of objection. Let me put it this way. It's like saying, I'm invoking my rights. You cannot trample on my rights. I have rights. Oh, all right. What specific right are you talking about that someone is trampling on that you're saying someone can't do this to you just like that objections are very specific but one of them is hearsay and the only thing that makes hearsay qualifiable as being admissible or something they call probative value or preponderance of evidence or something that's a material fact lamest term it makes sense so we're going to just say, yes, that's right. Hearsays are admissible if they fall under the exceptions, which are in 801, 803, and 804, which is basically your own words being used against you. If someone else said someone else's words, that main man that made that statement called a declarant is going to come and say, yeah, that is in fact what I said. Or they're going to use an official record, a police report, all those things 
are hearsay exceptions. And if they don't fall under the exceptions, then you can object to it and say, objection, hearsay. Same as cumulative, if you're going to invoke this type of objection, all you have to say is objection, cumulative. If it's asked and answered, objection, asked and answered. If it's not based, if it's based on authenticity of something, objection, lack of authentication, objection, lack of foundation, objection, improperly opinion, objection, asked and answered, etc., etc. Objection, relevance, objection, speculation. That's how you invoke it. Simple as that. Once you invoke that specific types, type of objection, then you can begin to make that demand. Then you begin to have that standing capacity to say, no, you don't move forward. You either sustain or overrule this objection. Otherwise, guess what they're going to do if you're saying, I object. I object to that. No, you can't move forward. Sustain or overrule. What they're going to do is they're going to do a finding of fact and conclusion of law and categorize you as a sovereign citizen. Keep that in mind. On the other hand, they know all these different types of objections, and they will kick your ass with it. And if you don't know it, then it will just go over your head like someone just throwing signs and symbols in front of you without you being aware of what is going on. They will hang you while you're standing there, and you won't realize it until your neck snaps. So know what objections are, because it will be used against you, and I have seen it too many times used against people. Don't be oblivious to this. So we went over the first one, objection, which is objection hearsay, rule 802 to 804. Second type of objection is speculations. The witness does not have first-hand knowledge of the fact they're testifying to. This could be what someone else thought or why someone did something. It could also include what would have happened had so-and-so occurred. Most of these will interrelate with each other, but in fact, they're not. So listen to the details. Speculation is very similar to hearsay. But in this case, speculation is when someone is given an if-then circumstance or if-then algorithm. Meaning, well, this man, we know that we didn't see him. This is what an attorney would try to bring up to try to make admissible against you under oath, right? Even though they don't swear oaths. So keep in mind, just based on swearing oaths alone, all these different types of objections can be invoked under that one simple thing. But nonetheless, let's just say they're coming in, they're saying, well, we know they're, they're saying you, you burned someone the house down, right? And you wanted to claim that insurance money for yourself, right? Okay. Or you did something to your own property and you just wanted to make that, that claim for yourself, right? The attorney for the opposing party or the insurance company is saying, well, we know we don't have any evidence that says that he actually burned this property down. But if he did, then it will make sense that this wood is burned on this side because it's closer to this position that we have his image to. At that point, it's up to you to say objection speculation. It's speculation. There's no substantive fact to back it up. Simple as that. Keep it moving. So rules of evidence 602 and 701. The next type of objection is relevance. The evidence being solicited does not relate to merits of the case. Merits is the same thing as the evidence or the law supporting it, such as res judicata or constitutional laws. Merits of the case or another admissible purpose, such as foundation or permissible character evidence. 
evidence character evidence we've also went over that in previous videos this is not the same as irrelevancy which is neither a real objection nor a real word relevance basically means whatever you're saying it's just a theory and guess what they will do this with you they'll say you're just pursuing theories or they're telling you according to rule 401 a rule of evidence none of what you're saying is relevant to the matter at hand so attorneys actually love doing this they'll bring case laws that have nothing to do with the ongoing matter but they know that that case law they put in a little exponential asterisk in front of their words and at the bottom they, they cite the case law at the bottom of the page they cite the number of the uh, exponent and cite the case law but when you begin to read the case law you realize it has nothing to do with matter at hand or if they try to bring certain witnesses against you some of those witnesses aren't relevant to the matter objection relevance if they're trying to say well we would know we didn't have an arrest warrant for him that day but uh, he had an arrest warrant at the neighboring county objection relevance is that county from that previous warrant enforceable in this county then that warrant that you're claiming gives you standing to arrest so-and-so during this day is not relevant to the matter objection relevance or anything doesn't have to be limited to warrants the next type of objection non-responsive uh, and by the way the relevance is based on rule 401 of rule of evidence non-relevant I mean non-responsive rules of evidence 611a the witness is not answering the question asked opinions differ but this objection is primarily thought to be used only by the person asking the question usually they would not answer they this they would really not qualify on this because usually they will either tell you they don't know or the acting judge will step in a system and tell them not to answer it or they'll try to pull up some other bullshit they usually wouldn't keep quiet so you might not have to put this to use but if you do find yourself in such situation you can you can make such an objection but keep in mind this objection is primarily thought to be used only by the person asking the question the next type of objection more prejudicial than probative probative just means something with preponderance of evidence meaning something beyond reasonable doubt meaning there's evidence of it and there's a prima facie meaning on its face we can see that what's being said relates to the evidence that's presented and that's rule 401 to 403 this is the argument oh they gave an example the evidence being introduced is highly prejudicial to your client and this prejudice far outweigh the probative value prejudice bias same thing this is not an objection this really hurts my case which is really how most people speak all evidence by opposing counsel will hurt your case yeah because that's what they're meant to do they're meant to go in there kick your ass even if you and they and the acting judge and the whole world knows they're wrong if they can bring in the evidence that states that or whatever you think about them is irrelevant and that they prove their case properly guess what they're gonna win so you thinking or expressing or verbalizing that what they're doing hurts your case 
it, it, nobody cares. Nobody cares. An objectionable piece of evidence is one that not only hurts your case, but is not relevant enough to the merits of your opponent's case to be let in. Meaning, don't put in your opinion on how you feel about something. Or more so, the evidence being introduced is highly prejudicial, biased to your client, and or you know it works against them. And this prejudice far away is to probative value. Meaning, there's something about what they are bringing into the matter that really doesn't deal with the substance or the essence or the spirit of the law at hand if they're charging you with possession of firearm for instance and they're saying look this guy was wearing a red jacket the color red is known to make people impulsive and violent but because of that he was more than likely to use that firearm to damage somebody that day so i had no choice to claim exigent circumstance throw him on the ground bust his head and arrest him but there's no scientific proof of that claim of the color red that that man wore while he was carrying a firearm if he was carrying a firearm believe it or not they will make shit like this up they do it all the time so that claim is prejudicial than having any merit it has no probative value. There's no merit to it. It's just some BS that's been said just to try to get to the point. And if you don't bring it up by saying an objection, more prejudicial than probative. It has no merit. There's no substance to it. And guess what? It's going to be admitted. Moving on. Leading. This, they use this so much. There's a rule of evidence 611C. The question on direct suggests an answer. In other words, hypnosis. This is one, not an objection on cross, cross-examination, meaning you don't, you're not speaking to your own witness during a trial, but you're using and holding your opponent's witness as yours to cross-examine, meaning say, for instance, you're the defendant and the plaintiff has a witness that said, Oh yeah, uh, according to this witness, I, mean, I, I, I have the ability to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. That's direct examination. And the witness is saying, yes, you do have a, a right to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. A cross-examination will be you talking to your plaintiff's witness, not your own witness that you're bringing in, but the other party's witness, asking them, is it really true that the plaintiff has a right to state a claim upon which relief can be granted because according to this evidence it shows otherwise that's cross-examination and that's what they mean when they say cross and two actually allowed in some circumstances so again the question on direct direct examination the, the question on direct examination suggests an answer this is not an objection on cross-examination actually and actually allowed in some circumstances which circumstances depend on the court, as Louisiana and the federal rules differ. But this basically covers all cases where leading is necessary to develop the testimony. So what in the ultimate world is leading? Leading questions is this. They're saying you committed a murder. And you're saying you did not commit a murder. But now the attorney is coming to you asking you, since you committed the murder, on the night of the 1st of January, where did you go right after the murder? That's leading. 
It's leading you to admit that you did in fact commit the murder despite the fact that you're saying I did it. You see that? Instead of saying, okay, where did you go after the night of January 1st during such and such time? They could have just asked that. But instead they said, after you committed the murder, where did you go? If you do not bring up the fact that that's a leading question, it's leading you to agree that you actually did something which you're contending otherwise, then it's gonna be admitted. So to those type of questions, it's like a loaded question or a double-ended question, where in order for you to answer the later question, which is where did you go, you will have to admit to the initial question or the initial presumption that you did murder someone. So your objection to that will be objection leading. And the power of objections is that once you effectively and specifically object to certain things, then you're not bound to answer it. That is the power to objections that nobody's telling you. Moving on. Next type of objection. Lack of foundation. Rule of Evidence 602-901A. The prerequisite evidence has not been entered that will make this evidence admissible. Again, the prerequisite evidence has not been entered that will make this evidence admissible. This could be proof that a confession has been made knowingly and voluntarily predicated. And it relies on something. That a witness is competent to testify to a fact or that a document is admissible. This is a good objection to make when you're sure that the evidence about to come in is objectionable in some way, but you're not sure how. This, I think this speaks for itself, lack of foundation. Whatever it is they're saying, lack of foundation. What will be an example of this? Let's see. Oh, simple. The most basic thing that everyone experiences, due process. The foundation to all these proceedings that are brought against you or that someone might want to use against you if you're bringing them in should be something based on preponderance of evidence. Meaning they arrested you without warrant? Okay. They're claiming you're, you committed a crime? Is there an evidence of that? Where's the foundation? The foundation is the Constitution. Simple as that. But they do an order and a final conclusion of law and you denied that based on facts and evidence and now you're appealing? Well, the foundation of that whole decision is dead because you invoke your affirmative defense in time. So just things, just the subtleties, but it's self-explanatory. It could apply in a broader sense. Lack of authentication. This is a question of foundation when trying to introduce a document into evidence, a document that is not self-authenticating or whose authenticity has not been stipulated to must be identified as true and accurate by a competent witness. What is self-authenticated document? Anything that has an official seal, such as the seal of Smithsonian or an official office or an official website, an extract from an official website or the seal from the Library of Congress, or other smaller municipal libraries, or other law libraries within a courthouse, uh, uh, an old family Bible, or certificate of acknowledgement, or certificate of true, true and correct copy of a notary or two witnesses doing an unsworn declaration saying that, yeah, this document is true and correct. So if someone is trying to say, hey, 
I'm a Native American. My ancestors owned that land, right? You want to come in and make that claim. I'm a Moor. I've been here since time immemorial. No one is saying that's not true. No one is saying that is true either. But do you have documents to prove the same? And is it authenticated? Because usually when you make claims like that, whoever is going to come and contend otherwise must really know what they're talking about. And trust me, a lot of researchers are out there sitting there waiting for people to make that claim so they can come at your ass. So you better have self-authenticating evidence. The next type of objection, improper lay opinion. And by the way, lack of authentication is based on Rule 901 of Federal Rules of Evidence. Improper lay opinion. The witness is given testimony that does not require an expertise, but is still an opinion that does not assist the jury or a fact finder like the judge. Meaning, you know, the jury determines the the truth of the matter. They don't make determination on whether it's lawful or not. The judge does. But in the case you're not doing a trial by a jury, it might just be the, the acting judge. So the witness is given testimony that is not requiring an expertise, but it's still an opinion that is not assisted jury or the judge in its understanding of the case. Meaning you're just going all over the place. Where is the succinct and clear and unambiguous claim? You're going about Black's Law Dictionary defines this when the Black's Law Dictionary was written in 18 something, but they're charging you with a statute that has its own definition. That was written in 2017. Okay. All right. That's just your own improper lay opinion. You're going on about the fact that they have to present their bond before they can start to hear a case. Okay. All right. That's an improper lay opinion. You're going on about the fact that you've accepted for value and because you've accepted for value, they have to prove something to you. Okay. If your requirement of proof is based on your quote unquote acceptance for value, all right, that's an improperly opinion. There's no law that governs that. If there's no expert that attests to that, and you're not bringing in any law, all right, that's an improperly opinion. Best of luck. Federal Rules of Evidence 701. Improper impeachment 607, 608, 609, 610, and 613. Many things are improper impeachment. For the most important that we've also spoke about impeaching a witness meaning if you send them interrogatories the next step to do is not just to keep quiet after that because every interrogatories has time limitations usually 30 days what happens after you send interrogatories to the purported witnesses or the people that are going to be coming over here and say yeah i saw him did that or testifying one way or the other they didn't respond to your interrogatories you impeach them you disqualify them as witnesses. So this is saying, all right, if you've impeached someone, whether it's an acting judge, because you can do the same thing, an acting judge gets it too. And if you're straddling the fence at the beginning and you're clueless, they will ride you. They will ride you. So get on it from the beginning and don't try to do this towards the end, because they'll just ignore it. Because they know you're clueless. If you really knew what you were doing, you would have done that a long time ago. Many things are improper impeachment, but the most important factors of a correct impeachment are 
have a concise question that the witness is currently not answering truthfully. Make sure the witness answered the question. Refer the witness to the previous statement, providing the opposing counsel with a page or line to which you are referring, a line number to which you are referring. Ask the witness if that statement was made by her previously. Try to confuse the witness into contradicting himself, not having a prior statement that directly relates to this current testimony. And not referring opposing counsel to the source of the previous statements are the big objectionable factors. If you are contradicting yourself within your process of impeaching a witness or aka uh, an attorney or just a normal, because before a trial they, they would list the people they intend to use as a witness so that they can afford you to process to do your interrogatories or whatever the tools you want to use. So within your interrogatories, if you contradict yourself, and remember you can impeach the judge too. So this applies with all this. Just think of it based on a broader perspective and not a limited one. So if you contradict yourself, they can bring an objection of improper impeachment. If you purposely do things in bad faith, AKA you try to confuse the witness into contradicting him or herself. They can invoke object objection and proper impeachment. And this can be done verbally or written. Then they can invoke this or use these contradictions against you, whether you wrote it down or it was your words. And you didn't refer to opposing counsel into the course of the previous statement at the beginning and not referring opposing counsel to the source of the period, meaning you don't have a source whatever it is you're stating that causes somebody not qualified. Because the whole process and the whole purpose of getting somebody to sit up there and put their right hand up and say they're telling the truth and nothing but the truth or to swear to their documents that it's true and to the best of their knowledge and belief under penalty of perjury is so that it could qualify them to actually state that claim to be considered as an admissible evidence. Otherwise, they can be impeached and disqualified and all that becomes irrelevant. So if you're trying to say that this man or woman can't do this or their claims is null or is meritless, if you, what you wrote, what you said is contradictory in any way, there is no clear reference to what you're doing and why what you're doing is valid. It can be objected to as being an improper form of impeachment. Because when it comes to quote unquote trial or pre-trial proceedings, believe it or not, what you're really doing throughout that whole thing is to impeach people. Whether it's be the attorney, the acting judge, or the supposed witness and the claim that they're bringing. Improper expert opinion. Rule 702, used when the testimony involves some degree of skills or expertise and the witness has not been entered as an expert in that area. Daubert challenges are covered under this objection and do not have to come pre-trial. Basically, if they're trying to, if the subject matter is about the ballistics of a gun and they're having an expertise of someone who works at an assembly line, come in to make that testimony, then 
Objection and proper expert opinion. That's not his field of expertise. Rarely this happens. Improper characterization, and that's in Rule 702. Improper characterization, 404 and 405. Use when a question or an, or an answer describes something that is highly prejudicial and not helpful to the jury or the acting judge. A typical example is describing the defendant or her actions as crazy. <laughs> a lot of people do this. A lot of people do this. A lot of people use their feelings to demonstrate or express things when it comes to things of this nature. And that actually works to their detriment because they look at it literally. They look at it factually. And they use that as consideration to come to conclusion. So it's not about sounding smart. It's not about sounding cool. It's about knowing that every word counts and every word actually has a meaning to it and affects your life. If you care enough about it, then you'll pay close attention to your words. That's basically what this is saying. Your words characterize the meaning of things and your words do create reality. If you think the people who talk about your words creating reality are just some corny, cheesy people, Alright, well go 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 into a public court when a claim is brought against you and think that doesn't matter. You'll get your ass kicked. That's basically what this is telling you. The proper characterization by you by the use of your words. This is charged this is a charged word and it has no real meaning unless the witness is a medical doctor who actually means crazy. See? They take a literal. It's not very useful objection most of the time because the objection generally draws more attention to the word and thus Cements the idea into the minds of the jurors or the acting judge. In other words, whatever layman terms you use, you don't have to use big vocabularies. You don't have to be all complicated and complex. But whatever layman term you use, use it. But be very, very, very specific with it. Mean what you say and say what you mean. So that it cannot be used against you. Objection and proper characterization. Hearsay, we went over that. Cumulative. Federal Rules of Evidence 403 and 611A. The material being asked has been, has been covered before. This generally isn't an issue in mock trials where there are only four witnesses. Meaning, it's kind of similar to asked and answered. In fact, I, I think it basically is the same, honestly, if you ask me. But you can look more into it. I'm sure there's probably something out there. Objection compound 611A. The question is really two questions posed as once. Ah, this is very similar to lead-in right here that we went to. Compound. The question is really two questions posed as once. Objection should only be used when the question is misleading and the answer could be misconstrued by the jury. So remember, leading question is getting you to say, yes, I committed it. By If they're saying you, you did something, but you're saying you didn't. But the question that they're asking you is, well, since you did this, why did you go there? Or what time did you go there after doing this? That's leading. They're leading you to accept automatically that you did it. A compound, on the other hand, objection compound, the question is two question poses once. Objection should only be used when the question is misleading and the answer could be misconstrued by the jury. So when they ask you two different questions, they're not leading you to accept by virtue of the question, 
that follows the presumption. But in fact, they're posing two questions at once to you. And this is what that is. They're going to say, for instance, oh, you're watching YouTube video while sitting, correct? <laughs> Those are two questions right there. But in the mind of someone, they're going to, the mind is very flimsy. The mind usually, especially in a heightened state of fear or lack of certainty, would isolate things and hear what it wants to hear. So they ask you, you're watching YouTube videos while sitting, correct? Your mind would only pick up either you're watching YouTube videos or you're sitting down. And you're just going to go, correct. But in truth, you just answered two questions right there. If you don't pick that up, they will put that in black and white and quote it back to you. And say you agree to the fact that you were watching YouTube video while sitting. You agree to the fact that you were sitting down. You agree to the fact that you were watching YouTube videos. But you go, no, no, I wasn't watching YouTube videos, but I was sitting down. But you're going to go, well, well, wait now. We asked you, you're watching YouTube video while sitting, correct? Look at it. This is a transcript. And then you went, correct. Yes. That's it. They got you. Instead of you asking two questions in one, just go objection compound. Objection compound is two questions posed in one. Objection leading is admission of guilt or presumption by asking a question that seems completely unrelated. So keep that in mind. These are very tricky tools. Very similar to hypnosis that will be used against you. Next, beyond scope or of direct or indirect examination, which is also called cross-examination. Rules of Evidence 1002. The evidence being solicited was not covered by the op opposing counsel while questioning the witness and is not relevant to any of the previous issue covered. Depending on the jurisdiction, this might be limited to just direct or indirect. So find out which, if you're in state court, find out whether this applies or not. So don't be going around using this in an improper venue or jurisdiction. Basically, it really deals with relevance when you think about it. And they're trying to conclude. This is basically when they're trying to railroad you and conclude as though they've dealt with the matter and have afforded you the due process. And they're talking about something else and trying to say that something else they're dealing with is a cause of why they're saying the claim against you. Objection beyond scope. Never dealt with that at all. It has nothing to do with the matter at hand. They do this a lot also. The next is best evidence. Also 1002. Used when the evidence being solicited is not the best source of the information. Usually occurs when a witness is being asked a question about a document that is available to be entered into evidence. The document should be entered as a proof of its content. And you yet to even be able to observe something or you have no clue about what they're talking about. They're trying to give you a vague reference when in truth there's an opportunity to give you a clear reference to what they're talking about. Believe it or not. Even if they had a video camera of you doing something, if under any reason your face is not clear, or if under any reason the angle is not clear, even if they say it looks like you, if they say you held an item and it looks like it, 
It's not the best evidence that could be used. Because it's not clear. It's vague. It's not the best source of information. Because in that case, police reports and other things can be more viable. Never admit to anything on camera. Assume facts, not in evidence. 611A. This is very important. Always use this. This goes hand in hand with Trinsley versus Pagliaro. And the fact that attorneys never swear oaths in their document. A question by the directing attorney that contains information not yet in the record. This is on the on cross examination. The counsel is the one testifying. The counsel is the one testifying. So this is not an objection on cross examination. But guess what? In all other circumstance, and I beg to differ even if it's on cross examination. This is basically what Trinidad versus Pagliaro summarizes. A question by the directing attorney that contains information not yet in record. They have no standing or capacity to bring any claim because they have no knowledge of it. They're always trying to say, hey, acting judge, make this decision because of this, but there's no evidence that's been put in to support that. Assume facts, not in evidence. And also the fact that they never do a sworn declaration or any type of declaration on their paperwork. You can, if you see you've tried everything and it doesn't work, bring this up. Based on the fact that they don't swear oaths to their documents and have no standards to state a claim. Objection asked and answered. It's 11A also. When the question being asked has both been asked and been answered. Before by his this attorney, this witness it is not an objection to a question on cross that has been covered in direct examination. Don't try to pressure you. You did this, didn't you? You did this, didn't you? I don't know. I didn't do it. I don't know. I didn't. They're going to keep asking you. Objection asked and answered. Argumentative. This is all they do. And guess what? They give it to you at the top of their document. All attorneys label the fonts or the heading of their documents as. Argument. Rule 611A of Federal Rules of Evidence. This is not an objection to opposing counsel making a good point. And if they make a good point, but there's many reasons to show that they don't and can't make a good point. It's up to you to know it. It is used when the question of attorney is not asking a question, then they're trying to state a claim. They're not asking a question. And instead is making an argument of law or application of law that should be arguing in summation. They're letting you know this is a how you counter an attorney. They give it to you. You can object to it based on the fact that it's argumentative. That grounds alone. Going to any paperwork, especially federal level, they will structure their documents and at the beginning they will say background. They will tell a bunch of pathetic stories and after that they will say argument. They will number their arguments line by line. Here's your response. The least you can say is someone never told you. Best of luck.